call your attention to the second to the lesson from scripture which is found in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 following Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judea, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they came into the house, and they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed from their, for their own country another way. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this important reading from his word. One of the most important Christian writers of our time, and there are many, many remarkable Christian writers, was J.B. Phillips. And I'm sure that many of you have read J.B. Phillips' translation of the Bible. You have also read numbers of his books. But I can remember many years ago a friend of mine giving me this little book called Is God at Home? Let me read you what he says about Christmas. It just takes a few minutes. Christmas comes but once a year, and when it comes it brings good cheer. So says the old Christmas rhyme, and naturally everyone tries at Christmas time to as more, enjoy as much good cheer as he can. But not everyone realizes the true and extraordinary story that lies behind Christmas. We may have some vague impression at the back of our minds of shepherds and angels and a star, like some kind of half-remembered fairy tale from childhood, but with the passing of the years it's all become too sentimental and romantic. In reality, although it was the most wonderful fact in all of human history, it was not at the time particularly beautiful. 
For when God decided to enter the stream of human history by becoming a human baby, he did not choose, as we might expect, to be born in a rich and privileged home. There were no special priorities or privileges for him. He chose as his mother, a young peasant woman, in humble circumstances, probably not more than 16 or 17 years of age. There was no publicity and no fuss when he slipped into this human life. It happened in a third-rate country nearly 2,000 years ago, and very few people knew what was happening. It may look beautiful now in a Christmas card or in a religious picture, but there's nothing really very lovely about hunting desperately for a lodging place when your wife is pregnant and the pains are throbbing and she is nearing her time. There's nothing romantic in having your first baby in a cave because no one in the inn next door will give up his bed for him. It's really not much fun to put your firstborn baby to sleep in a cattle's feeding trough because there's nowhere else except the dirty floor. The historic fact shorn of its romance and decoration was really rather ugly and squalid. It's not a pleasant thing for a mother to feel that the world has no room for her baby. It must have cheered Mary's heart when the rough shepherds came bursting in all breathless and excited and saying that they had seen a vision of angels and that they had been told that this little fellow was really God and might they please kneel down and give him their presence. How the people snoring comfortably in the inn next door would have laughed to have seen the sight of those country bumpkins kneeling on the stable floor. It would have been as good as a play. And yet that's how God made his entrance. And if you can once imagine con the contrast between the splendor of heaven and the squalor of earth, you cannot help admiring and loving a character who accepted no special advantages or defenses, who lived life on the same term as his creatures. That's the real good cheer of Christmas, that God is not an aloof, invisible power, but one who actually took the risk of entering his own world, cutting out the sentiment and the decorations and the commercial racket at Christmas, the historic fact that we are celebrating is simple, but quite unforgettable once it gets under your skin. God became one of us that we might find the way to become something like him. That sums it up very well. We have looked in the preparation for coming to the day of Christmas Sunday at the forerunner who came preparing the way. Some of us saw that that message which John the Baptist was preaching, with all of its stern warnings, and with all of its flaming rhetoric, had also tremendous social implications to it as well. People with two coats were told to sell one and give one away. They were told if they had food to share it with others. They were to, told to change their way of living, not to exploit their use of power or of privilege. They were told to get ready 
because there was coming one after him who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is what Phillips is alluding to here when he says that when God comes and really invades, he really takes over. He takes over our life and he changes us. And last week when we saw the shepherds and the anthem that came to them about peace, the peace that can only be achieved when God's will is done by men and we seek to do his will, then we learn something of those simple, sweet shepherd folk who, though rough and criticized by society, were much loved and admired by God. And how he gave them the marvelous thrill of the angelic choir and the visitors. And now today we come to another class of people. Not poor people, but people of great money and people of influence and people of power. The Bible says not many greater chosen. It does not say not any greater chosen. And so it's true that there are some wise men and women who come to faith in Jesus Christ and who may come a long journey, but they bring very much with them, and they give it all humbly to the Lord. The interesting thing to me in reading this passage again this Christmas time was to see that all Jerusalem was troubled when the wise men came seeking to find out where Jesus was to be born, that there was actually trouble at the first Christmas. Now, we have trouble at every Christmas, it seems like, uh, because there's always people that get depressed because other people are happy and they're sad. Uh, there are more suicides at this time of the year than any other time. I always get little pamphlets from the National Institute of Mental Health that they send out to bartenders, beauticians, and preachers <laughs> uh, because they are going to be talking to people who are depressed. Uh, we are told that people are uh, hapless. They feel like they're victims of circumstances. They can't do anything about, uh, that they're hopeless, that there's no way they can change uh, their lives, that there's helpless, that there's no one to really help them. And the only real answer, I think, comes here. So trouble is nothing new at Christmas. And trouble there came at the first Christmas, but the reason the trouble came is what fascinates me here. These magi are evidently a remnant of those people who had been taken into captivity and probably as far away as a country like Iran. Persia. And they have made a tremendous long journey. They have studied the stars. They are the students of philosophy. And they must have had some of the scriptures that Daniel and others had left in their land which they had contemplated. And so these sages use the light that God gives them and God gives them more light. That's always the way it is with God. If we use the light he gives us, he gives us more. And so they used that light and he gave them more. He gave them a star that beckoned them to come to where the Christ child was to be born, where this new king was to be. Now, when they came to Bethlehem 
And remember that Bethlehem is only uh, six miles from Jerusalem. They went first to Jerusalem, the capital, because they thought this, this city of Jerusalem would surely be the place with its magnificent temple of Herod. When you see those Jews in television today weeping at the Wailing Wall, they're weeping at what's left of the great temple that Herod had built. The Herod who was alive at this time was a splendid thing. And uh, so you would think that any great thing that was to take place would surely take place there in Jerusalem. So these wise men, and we don't know whether there were three, we know that there were three gifts, and so that's caused us to think that there were three wise men, but we don't know whether there were many. Evidently, they had quite a retinue of servants and uh, people with them. But they came into the city of Jerusalem inquiring about where Jesus, where the king of the Jews was to be born. Herod, who was a very cruel, evil man, who saw to it that members of his own family were put to death because of his own paranoid uh, feelings and cruelty. This is the Herod. Uh, whose son later will be dealing with John the Baptist. And this, is, uh, this, this Herod is a very interesting man. He's very, very rich. He was a friend of Caesar. And Caesar had given him great privileges. And he exercised his authority with uh, great power. But he was troubled when these strangers arrived. We know what it is when the Shah has moved from one place to the other. He has to have a great retinue of people with him. Well, if you think about these great personages coming from the east, they had many servants with them, and it must have been quite a stir in Jerusalem when they arrived. And so when Herod the king heard about it, and heard that they were seeking the king of the Jews, for they had seen his star in the east, and they were come to worship him, Herod was troubled. And not only Herod was troubled, but all of Jerusalem, it says, was troubled with him. And you know what he did? He called a meeting of the General Assembly. He called a meeting of the Senate. He called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where Christ was to be born. He didn't remember his Bible very well. And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, and he said, oh, of course, Bethlehem. And they said, uh, for it is written in the prophet in you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judea, for out of you shall come forth a ruler that will shepherd my people Israel. And so he learned something from the meeting of his synod of religious leaders. And then Herod secretly calls in the Magi for a little discussion. And he asked them what time the star appeared. He is suspicious. And then he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Well, we know what he does later in the slaughter of the innocent. And someone has said that you couldn't really expect Herod to have sent these wise men 
on to Bethlehem from Jerusalem without sending some spies along in the crowd. Did you ever think about that? He's so suspicious. He had CIA agents everywhere. And uh, he would have had a spy for every camel driver. And when they got to Bethlehem, which was just six miles away, someone has had a fanciful report about what one of the spies might have said when he got back. He came back to report to Herod. And Herod said, tell me, tell me, what did, what did they find? And he said, now, wait a minute, Herod. You, you're not going to believe this. You know where those people went. If I hadn't really been smart, and you were wise to pick me to go with them, then I never would have learned. You see, what they did when they got to Bethlehem, they didn't go to the biggest hotel there. And I saw the camel drivers all going around in the back to a stable. And if I hadn't really been on the ball, I would have missed it. But I followed the camel drivers around to the back. And do you know what happened? There was a stable. And now, you're not going to believe this. But in that stable was a little country couple. And they were from Galilee. They had the kind of clothes that people in Galilee wear. Just country people. A young woman who was giving birth to a baby. And uh, her husband was there. And yes, there were some shepherds who came in. And there were sheep all over the place. It was a terrible mess. Herod, you don't have anything to worry about. Not a thing in the world to worry about. Believe you me, nothing is going to take place from that. Those people gave him some gifts. They had some gold and some frankincense and some myrrh, and so they gave those things to him. But if I were you, I wouldn't worry about that. I wouldn't worry about anyone being born in a, in a stable, in a cave like that. That could have been the way it took place. You can imagine a man so suspicious as this. I wonder why some of the people who were members of the Sanhedrin didn't go to Bethlehem. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't go there. There were people who may have been too busy to go to Bethlehem. We know that this big decree about taxation and census had come out next year, 1980. We'll have a census in the United States. I know what it is every time at Christmas. It seems so ironical to get all these tax bills that come roaring in at Christmas time. Taxes are still here. They were busy. They could have said that it wouldn't be smart to follow these wise men and go along to Bethlehem. After all, there were a lot of things that were taking place. The, the Feast of Hanukkah was going on, the dedication of, uh, which was caused by Judas Maccabeus when he was one of the great patriots of the Jews, and really they were interested in overthrowing the Romans, and that was very much in the air, and so this was a big uh, uh, festival, and it wasn't a good time to go look at Bethlehem especially to follow these people who were inquiring about this obscure scripture reference that had been given to them. So, there were some people that are too busy. And they're too busy at Christmas. 
I know people every year who go through a terrible syndrome at Christmas when they become so busy that they forget to remember what it's all about. They don't understand it. Largely because they don't want to understand it. They're afraid to be quiet long enough to take into the, their hearts the real meaning of Christmas because it might just change. That might be the second and the deeper reason that they wouldn't go to Bethlehem because they were afraid of what people might think. What if they really did believe that Jesus is actually the Son of God? And if they did admit that, then his lordship would be the next thing that would be inevitable. And that can really wreck your plans when Jesus is Lord. I'm sure that there were people who thought that. And I'm also sure that there were, there was another reason that there were people under, under false illusions who had been deceiving into thinking that this life was all there is to things. You see this all the time. I'm glad that uh, every year in many places, Charles Dickens' famous play, uh, play, famous story, A Christmas Carol, is shown. There's a lot of good truth in that, uh, in that work by Dickens. I used to always take our children to see it when the wonderful film musical came out on it. And I read it over and over and over. And if you see the spirit that comes, you know the story, uh, Jacob Morley had died and his partner was Ebenezer Scrooge and Ebenezer Scrooge was a very greedy man. He had some of these fears that were here. I think one of his fears was that he was afraid he would be poor and so he got greedy trying to get money. And he would be too busy and you remember how he griped when poor Bob Cratchit wanted off just one day, Christmas Day. And uh, Scrooge said, I suppose that you'll want to be paid for tomorrow too. It's the only day of the year he got off and got paid for. And uh, Cratchit said, well, it only happened one time a year. And Scrooge said, that's no excuse for robbing a man's pocket. <laughs> Once every 25th of December. Well, that's Scrooge's attitude. He's too busy making money. He's distracted by the illusion of wealth. And then when that ghost comes to him at night, the ghost of Christmas past, it shows Scrooge some interesting sights. It shows him as a little boy. And it shows him when he goes into business. And it shows him when he almost got married. And there was a lovely girl that he wanted very much at one time to marry. But he became so engrossed in business that he didn't have time for. And there's a key line in the play when uh, she says to him that he has another lover, a golden lover, and that she can't compete with that lover. And Scrooge busies himself, and as a specter, he, as he watches in the dream what's taking place, he begins to think about those Christmas pasts. You remember who's leading him around? Morley leads him around. And Morley is weighted down with the change which he had forged in this life. The change, chains of selfishness which he had forged. And Jacob Morley's chains 
which he had forged himself and which have weighted him down. At one point he says to Scrooge that he wished that he had followed that star that led to where that poor couple were. But he didn't. And it's to his everlasting regret. And you remember the Christmas present when Scrooge can't do anything there. He can't reach over into reality because it's all in a dream. You remember little tiny Tim's grave and then finally Scrooge sees his tombstone and that really puts the fear in him. And his hand shakes and he tells the, the specter or the spirit not to torture him any longer. And there's a little key lying right there because it says that the spirit trembled. The spirit trembled because Scrooge was wanting to change. And that's hope. That's one of the things that can happen when we really take Christmas like it's meant to be. When we make the proper response to the Son of God. When we're willing to yield our lives over to his lordship. Last night at prayer meeting, I went over the, the poem, which I won't go over today, The Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot. In 1917, T.S. Eliot had a nervous breakdown. This was before he had become a Christian and he went to Switzerland to recover. And he wrote his love song of Alfred Prufrock, in which he speaks of the corrosive boredom of the existence that he lived and the great questions which he is never really willing to face. He knows there's one big question, and that big question will have to do with the surrender of his life to the higher power of God. And he quickly dismisses that question from his mind and thinks about other things, the bald spot in his hair, and about the fact that he's getting a little older, and that he has to be at tea by four o'clock and all sorts of things like that. But then once, and Eliot is writing really biographical, when he comes to the true meaning of life, which is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, that makes all the difference for him. He is not afraid anymore of the big question and he surrenders himself to the lordship of Jesus Christ and becomes converted. And that's the one thing that Christmas is meant to tell us more than anything else. That God is with us and that God has spoken to us. There's a verse that says he has put eternity into our hearts. Augustine said long ago that our hearts are restless until they rest in him that to be too busy in seeking things, to be wondering what other people will think that we're a fool if we go, to be under all these false illusions that these things have to be put aside. And we have to be willing, like the wise men, they knelt down. These big people who were accustomed to others kneeling to them, they knelt down at that little peasant baby who stuck his little hand up 
And that was God, scaled down in human flesh. And when they realized that, they knew that, as Eliot says in the Magi, that this birth was different from any other birth. That it was hard and bitter agony for them. Like their own death to self and their own birth again to a new life that this one would lead. When he leads life, that's what makes Christmas different. Fulton Sheen died last Sunday night. I believe it was Sunday night. He used to have a little piece that appeared at Christmas on the five points of the star at Bethlehem. Oh, it was a beautiful piece because it told so poignantly about what Christmas really meant, that God loved us and came and tabernacled among us, was a ray that shone out to us. That God not only loved us, but he loved us so much to die for us, for our sins. Someone had to pay the price for our sins, and that he paid the price for our sins. And that only the proper response of yielding ourselves to him would mean that he would live in our hearts and live his life out through us. And when we came to that place, that made the difference, the big difference of all of life. I want to close with something that I found that came from an English post office clerk whose job it was to handle letters that were inadequately addressed. This man was at his desk on Christmas Eve, and he was brokenhearted because death had taken his only son. He was given a letter that was addressed in a childish handwriting to Santa Claus at the North Pole. And attached to it was a note from the postman who had picked it up giving the address of where the letter had been given in. The clerk was startled because it was his own home address. And the writing was that of his own daughter. And this is the letter. My dear Santa Claus, we're very sad at our house this year, and I don't want you to bring me anything. My little brother went to heaven last week, and all I want you to do when you come to my house is to take his toys to him. I'll leave them in the corner by the chimney, his rocking horse and train and everything. You see, he'll be lost up there without them, especially that horse. So you might take them to them, and you needn't mind leaving me anything. But if you could give Daddy something that would make him stop crying, I wish you would. I heard him say to Mommy that only eternity could cure him. I don't know to where to get eternity. Could you get him some of that? And I will be your good little girl, Miriam. We could all do with a gift of eternity. And that's what God has done when Jesus came into human flesh.
And it can be our gift today, right now. Everlasting life begins not when you die. It begins when you believe. He who has the Son has life. And he who has not the Son of God has not life. The wise men came a long way. but They came for the right reason. They got the right answers. And they went back to their places, satisfied with eternity in their hearts. Let us stand in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, there may be some persons here today, someone, some boy, some girl, some older person, who's gone through a lot of Christmas seasons with all of its trapping and excitement, but who has never yet learned the real reason that you have come into this world is Emmanuel, God with us. And that you have come that eternity might be placed in our hearts. And we are thankful that the Lord Jesus has come to give us life. But he cannot give us that life if we hold back on him. So we pray that you will help us to give as much of ourselves as we know how to give to as much of him as we understand. So that when we go from this place of worship today, we shall go with Jesus Christ in our hearts as Lord and Master of our lives. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our Helper be and abide with you all.